Hey folks, how are we doing today? Currently, as I'm recording this intro, we are a week and a half into Georgia season and not quite a week into Florida season. Ricky is on a hunting trip in Kentucky. He's going to shoot a podcast up there with a bunch of cool guys. He's up there. He does it every year. They go to Kentucky and hunt public land. Last year, he shot a really nice buck up there. I have been grinding on a couple WMAs in Florida and Georgia and Hunting in the south with a bow is never easy, and you add public land and hiking and mosquitoes, and I got so many bug bites on me right now. I did kill a doe the other day, way back on public, and I learned a valuable lesson, as this is my first year truly, you know, public land hunting. Don't shoot a doe when it's super far back, because it's almost not worth the drag out. Luckily, I packed her out, and that is fully fully legal. For those of you who are going to say it's not, I looked it up. Uh, my son also shot a doe on opening afternoon, a really big doe, and so we're excited about that. And Ricky, since and um, also since we recorded last, Ricky has shot his six-point with his trad gear on public land in the middle of the day and filmed it. And it's a great quality video. Y'all check out our Instagram if you haven't yet. And our YouTube page, it's on there. It's a pretty awesome video. To do it with a trad bow, on public, on film, I'm very proud of him for that. It's an incredible feat. Today we have on John Haley. He is a local guy from around here. He's well known around our our social circle in our hometown. He, he doesn't post a lot to social media, but when he does, that means something's dying. And he has a track record of usually tagging out on bucks in the club that he's in he's in a hunting club he's a hunting club guy he doesn't hunt public but he's a really good hunter he has a track record of of tagging out on bucks before either before the muzzleloader or definitely the week of muzzleloader he usually doesn't even get to rifle hunt um i say that either him him or somebody under his wings he keeps a couple of his friends under his wings and kind of teaches them and helps them along and shows them the ropes it's either john or one of his friends that have harvested a deer usually first week of bow well the same thing happened this year since we recorded this a few weeks ago opening afternoon his friend's wife shot a fantastic buck with her bow at 18 yards it's her biggest buck to date it's a fine deer uh maybe we'll have him on later in the end of the season to tell stories but i know that 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 buck right there was a direct result of john's tutelage you know so he's a great hunter you hunt club guys are going to like this one. He's an absolute killer. He always tags out in Florida. Something not most people can say. He does it when it's hot. He does it out of ground blinds in the sun. He doesn't care. He's a killer. Folks, this is John Haley. I'm Justin Bullard. And I'm Ricky Bullard. And we are definitely from the woods. Mr. Jonathan Haley, a little bit of a local legend around Nassau County. He's uh, not real loud on social media, but when he does pop up, he's usually got something dead and he gets a good feedback. Uh, hunted with this guy a couple years in a hunting club, and that was before I started my own hunting club, so I got out of that one. But one thing I did know when I hunted with this guy, A, he's always going to kill his bucks. B, most of the time they're going to be in bow season. And if they're not in bow seasons, because he passed up bucks to wait on muzzleloader, well, he's a 
He's a North Florida hunt and lease assassin. How you doing, Jonathan? Doing good. How about y'all? Good, man. Ricky's on the line with us. Doing good. Nice to meet you, man. Nice to meet you. So we'll just go right off the top. When did you start hunting? How'd you get into it? Uh, through my daddy when I was probably, I remember going with him whenever I was, you know, four or five out there in the dairy, you know, right, you know, right up the road is where we started hunting at. And, uh, hunted there for a while until they, uh, they started cutting everything and talking about selling, breaking everything up. And then we went up to South Georgia right there across in Folkestone and gotten a lease there and hunted there for a few years and, and that fell through and then got right out here in Southwest Hilliard, you know, that's the same club you were in and, mm -hmm. and, uh, been there for that on that lease now for golly since probably 2009 so now, 2000 now the the dare you're talking about it's pretty well known around these parts but explain that was it a lease back then or was it just permission hunt or it was what about uh, 500 acres it was 5,000 acres we had the broom stage side where they did the quail hunts and all that and we had the dairy side that we could hunt it was all one thing did y'all turkey hunt. hunt back then? Did y'all turkey uh, hunt back then? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but most of them, you know, back there on the dairy side, they're field birds. So you know how that goes. Oh, yeah. Um, field birds are the biggest assholes on earth. Yeah. And then on the broom stage side, you know, you had to kind of deal with the, the quail hunters in the morning. But if you could get a wood bird, you know, fired up over there, you, you, you're doing pretty good. You know, you pretty good success. But them field <laughs> birds. That's out, you know, that's just they're tough. They are tough. That, that those quail those quail courses though, that's some beautiful turkey hunting woods. If you can get a day where there's not quail hunters in there, it you can probably see them coming a while, and they probably boom through those big pines. Yep, they sound good, look good coming through there. Mm -hmm. I get it done while they're eating breakfast or uh, in between hunts. <laughs> um, when'd you kill your first deer? Gosh, uh, it's probably seven or eight but i'd probably kill one before then if i hadn't missed six or seven you know mm -hmm. did you give him a rifle or shotgun a rifle yeah and bow i mean golly when I, you know bow hunting i missed i missed probably six or eight the first year i started bow hunting you know i had an old three pin sight shooting aluminum airs and muzzy broadheads and that deer come in i'd draw back and i had a three pin sight and that part, that forty yard pin would would hit fur, and I'd sling it and shoot over his back every time. I remember those aluminum era days. Those are some of the best memories I got. But you you pretty much realize you're donating an era per animal for without yep. a doubt. I remember that diameter and things were huge, and I used to shoot. Well, I shot muzzies and heck, whatever else I could find that my uncle handed me down, or I found in somebody's you know cup holder or whatever. Decent game getters. Hmm. My was. first bow was a bear whitetail too. That sucker weighed about 47 pounds. <laughs> and loud. Loud. Sound like a shotgun going off. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. My, my first deer was buzzing aluminum bears. I think you were there with me for that one, Justin. Mm -hmm, I was. That bow, that bow must have been 45 inches long. <laughs> my first, I remember my first deer hunt, my first doe I killed with a bow. I, I killed it from the ground, actually. I, I've been trying for two years and I didn't really have many people to guide me on but my uncle did it a little bit but not much he's a gun hunter 
And I was walking back through the pine rows to my stand and I looked up and there's three does standing in the open pines. And I just, I just dropped to the ground and behind one of the berms and I stood there and watched them come to me. There wasn't a range finder. There wasn't no nothing. I just guessed at 30 yards. And I remember I drew back and I'm, I'm what, I don't know, 16 probably. I drew back and that doe stepped in between those. I just said a prayer and sent it. And my gosh, at 10 ringer. Yeah. I, uh, that first one I killed actually, uh, which my dad never bow hunted. Whenever he always rifle hunted, muzzleloader and all that, but he never bow hunted. And uh, my dad or my granddad was renting a house next door to us, and uh, a guy moved in, and he's actually the one that got me into bow hunting. I was uh, my first bow. I was probably was twelve. Um, I was in sixth or seventh grade when I killed my first one with a bow. Cause I actually another buck, and it was right here behind the house. And uh, Colton was actually there, mm-hmm. and he uh, he he videoed it for me. And uh, it was it was pretty cool. I mean, he's a little nothing buck, but boy, you couldn't you couldn't tell me nothing. I done killed one with a bow. I was I was it. You know what oh, I mean? Oh man, I shot my first buck in sixth grade, and I carried that bloody rack around in my backpack for a week. <laughs> when you're when you when you want your first one of anything, you're you're super proud of it, and that's good. Um, oh yeah, for sure. And uh, Jonathan, you're in competition archery too, aren't you? Uh, I was. Yeah. I got out of it. I mean, I did it for from probably about two. I started in 2012. My senior year of high school started um, shot as many as I could, and then I did it for two, in 2013 or 12, 13, 14. Um, 14 was probably my best year. I mean, I I ran for shooter of the year in my class, which shooter of the year is the person who has the highest cumulative points throughout all the tournaments. You get you get out of seven tournaments, they take a they used to drop two scores. You take five, and whoever you know has the highest cumulative points, you know they win shooter of the year. And I ran for that all year until the last two tournaments. But my problem was that I never practiced. You know, I got up there and they peer group you at the last tournament, and uh, with the top five guys, and they're up there talking about how much they practice and this and that and the other, and they're making me feel like shit. They're like, yeah, we <laughs> practice this and that and the other, and uh, the guy that was. Like two points behind me, uh, he said, how much do you practice? I said, well, I mean, I might have shot my boat two times since the last last tournament. You know, and this is on a national level. You know, I think we was in was – we, we might have been in Alabama at that point. Um, we went all over. And uh, Louisiana, Kentucky, Texas, all over the place. And said, wow, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, uh, he said, how uh, – and I think at that time there was probably a hundred – I think at the, the – there was 180 registered shooters in our class, but I think it was like about 70 or 80 of them that, you know, went to about every tournament. And uh, he asked me, how much – have you shot your bow? How much you practice? I said, well, I probably shot my bow two two times since the last tournament. He said, how many, how much you practice for the, or for the other ones? I said, not much more. He said, you mean tell me you whooped our ass all year. <laughs> You don't hardly practice. We go home and get off work. That's all we do is practice. I said, I mean, when you say it like that, you know. Well, if you got yeah. it, you got it. You do what you got to do, you know. He looked, Sounds he, like you're making them feel like shit. Yeah. And then he and said, you are a waste of talent. And right there, that's all he had to say. I just was like, damn, and that just got stuck with me, you know. And uh, I ended up not even – I shot so bad that weekend, I didn't even uh, think I ended up sixth or seventh for the year of the year. I just fell off. And then I took – Took a couple. I took. Uh, I didn't shoot another one until 2019. Just got 
on whim, I was just like, I'm going to go shoot a couple tournaments this year and then went back and, uh, I mean, I won the first one I went back to after four or five years of being off. And then I placed top three in the, in the next two. And then I was just done. I got my belly full of, I don't know, it's just, it's, to get, when you get to that level and you start getting up that high, it's it's a it's another full time job to be able to keep up with those guys, and I just wasn't I wasn't ready for it. And partying and all that just wasn't it wasn't a priority, and I probably should have made it one. Well, life takes you in the direction you need to go, not the direction you want to go. Most times. Yep. Um. So when did you kill your first buck? Like your first rack buck. First rack buck. It was probably, I don't know, I was hunting. I killed that. We wasn't in Southwest Hilliard yet. We was hunting in, uh, in Trader Hill up there in Folkton. But right here, the, there's right up behind my house, there's a probably an acre of woods that's ours that I killed that. So it was that same year. So was, I was probably 12 or 13. It was a, a rack eight point. It was probably about 12, 13 inches wide, you know, and that was up there in uh, folks, and it was during rifle season. We killed him with a rifle. Yeah, folks around here, um, 13 inch, eight point rack buck is a very good buck. <laughs> yeah, short uh, time. Good buck. I was, I was tickled with him, but I mean, you know, he, he just, he was a little wide, but he just, you know, how, the, you know, how they are around here. Oh, and yeah. Just, I, it's almost, I mean, shooting a, or any rack, any eight points is a good deal around here. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's so, a, it, go ahead. Go ahead. Your point. I'm gonna give it the next. It takes. It takes. Takes a lot. It, it takes a killing a lot of deer to be able to pass up a rack eight point in this area. You, you know, you got to kill a lot of deer and kill a lot of bucks before you start doing that. If not, you you have a lot of patience. Yeah, I, I'm 38 now, and I just started that in Florida last year, and I was after a certain buck that y'all know about, but. Um, in Georgia, I, I pass passing up 115, 120 inch deer in Georgia, not on the regular, but sometimes, you know, but in Florida, it's, it's a complete different deal. And I feel yeah. like I've been hunting since I was 11. And I'm just now able to pass up a rack day point. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's tough. I mean, I've, I've passed a few, uh, in the last, I mean, I probably count on one hand how many I've passed eight points, but you know, just, it wasn't what I wanted at the time. You know, it was maybe during bow season or early muzzleloader, and I done killed a good buck, and I'm, you know, I was waiting for something, for something that I knew was there. You know, yeah. Now, if that deer had walked, you know, in front of me, maybe a couple of weeks before that, it would have been the same outcome. You know. Yeah. Y'all know I don't pass up a rack buck unless I'm in the Midwest. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Ricky has a none shall pass clause. And when I'm on public land, I do too, I promise you, on public land. I got to tell you, that's one thing I respect you for, Ricky, is is killing bucks on on private or on uh, public land because I've never done it. And I know that if I was to do it, I'd get my ass kicked. I mean, it would be – it's probably something good for me to do and make me a better, you know, more rounded, better hunter. But it's just hard for me to get out there and do it. And I respect the hell out of you for it. Well, it, it's the same deer. It's just you got a whole, you know, more people. But uh, I'm not, you know, I'm not one of these guys that, you know, I hunt public land so I'm better because I hunt a private land too. And I, I've got my butt handed to me on private land just the same. So, 
Well, just the two years I've been hunting public, I promise you it makes you a better hunter. It makes you look at things differently because you ain't just got a corn pile to go to. But like on public land, I've noticed personally when a buck's feeding on acorns or persimmons or whatever, and there's no corn within a thousand yards or 2000 yards, he's a lot less alert. He's a lot more relaxed. He, he, he knows what that corn pile is, or especially, you know, these hard hunted deer. And I've, I've shot some deer over natural food and I swear to you, they don't even hardly look up. Yeah, for sure. That'd be, you know, they ain't on edge tents the whole time. Mm -hmm. Tell us about your scouting that you do in your club there, because obviously it works. If you got a line on, I would imagine you got multiple bucks for options. Hell, it's August 19th. I bet you got a couple right now you're waiting on opening day for. <laughs> you want me to be perfectly honest with you? Uh, <laughs> this year I'm kind of behind. I mean, I just I haven't, haven't really got on it this year, but I mean, you know how it is out there. It's, you know, you, uh, at least you got your established spots and you stay in them spots until somebody gets out or, you know, somebody moves a spot or whatever. And that's what I try to do. I mean, my scouting is – I've been out there for so long, I kind of know, you know, I wouldn't say I got them figured out, but I've I've got a good idea of where they're going to be at and what they're going to do most of the time. I'd and, say you got them figured out. And, and where they're going to be. You know where a certain deer is going to be, you know, in this time frame. Like he may not be here, you know, the first month of hunt season, or the, you know, but the the week before muzzleloader, he's going to be where my stand is. You know what I'm saying? He's done that the last two or three years, so I know what's kind of got. You know, I know where he's kind of got to be. But um, as far as you want to know, like more about on a particular deer, like a specific deer, or a well, we'll get to specific deer. Uh, you spoke about it briefly. What's the big switch? Because geographical areas in Florida and the basically all across the South have different switch days, and I call them the switch. So I'll have a buck on camera and on my lease every day. Like if I could hunt him right now, I'd kill him. I can set my watch by him. But there'll be a shift come. Usually on me, it's about the second or second week of bow. Maybe a third week of bow, and then all of a sudden it's like something different in, in the air. Like the bucks just change completely. It's almost like turkey season whenever they make that shift, you know? Yeah. Um, I'll bring it back a little bit, um, a little bit further, a couple weeks back, you know, about Labor Day weekend. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you some of my best spots, you know, I don't have a, a shooter buck on camera until after the Labor Day weekend. Um, it won't be till – you know, sometimes even the week of bow season before I get a shooter buck, um, my main thing is just finding where the does are because even when they're in velvet, they're—I mean—they're they're still up, a little bit. They got their core area and their stay tight or two, but they're still up. They'll still up, move around. They—they they know where the does are at, especially at three. You know, once he gets up three and a half, four years old, he know—he knows where they're going to be at. And he's just going and checking and moving around. But it seems like Labor Day. You know, they shed their velvet. And it starts about Labor Day weekend, you'll start getting bucks coming in, or especially where I'm at. You know, that may not be everywhere, but it's just where I'm hunting at. And, you know, they start, you, get, you start getting new bucks every week, every week, you know. And, and over time, you develop confidence in that spot. Like, it's almost like our last guest uh, talking about the lucky tree. You know, if that tree works, and it works when you're going to be there, it may not work second week of both season, but if you've, if you've seen bucks out of that tree three years in a row, opening weekend a muzzleloader, you pretty well bet that area you can have confidence in. Exactly. Um, that's another point I'll get to in a minute. We'll get to it in a little bit. But, yeah, I mean, um, that's like one of my buddies that got in the club out there two years ago. I told him where, where I thought a really, really, really good spot would be. And uh, 
he put his camera out all summer. All he had was a herd of those. Now he's like, there ain't no bucks over here. Why this ain't a good spot? Blah blah blah. Well, my other buddy Taylor, he went in there and was like, I'll go in there and try it. Well, come Labor Day weekend, sure enough, here come the bucks rolling in. Mm. You know, one, you know, one have he probably had four or five rack eight point, shooter eight points in there. You know, at one point, you know, over the course of you know mid September October, you know, all in there feeding at different times throughout the night and day. So, is that not, more? Is that more geographic or like terrain feature, or is that a certain like? Is it a hardwood bottom? Is it a pine edge on the side of a ditch, or or, do you, or is there is there just it could be anything? Uh, well, to me, I hunt nothing but pines. You know, anything from from head high on up, as long as it's got good cover underneath it, your broom sage meter fans, gallberries. You know, the works. You know, it's funny is is you told me that three years ago. You said I kill more bucks in short pines because I used to look at a clear cut and short pines. I'm like, oh, they ruined all the beautiful tree, the big, you know, the big trees you can climb up in and see the floors floor. And you're like, no, man, when they get above head high, they get that underbrush. And so when we got my new lease, the first spot I picked was the one spot nobody wanted out in the short pines. And I have killed every buck that I've in that club in them short pines. It was one of them light switches. When you said it, I said, you know what? He's right. They got cover. They got water on that ditch over there. They got does. They it makes live sense. off gallberries. They can live right. off gallberry leaves. And yeah. the and the seven tons of corn I put out. But uh, I was gonna, I was gonna ask you, Jonathan. You mentioned, you know, that the buck knows where the does at, and that's why he's showing up. Do you ever have any spots where you know, to, like, you're not seeing does, and then all of a sudden the buck will show up, or are you you pretty much key um, in on those does no matter what? It seems like to me. On that, if I have a spot, I'd rather have a spot with no bucks on it than a spot, you know, when they're in velvet anyway, that uh, I have four or five bucks on camera, you know, rack bucks, shooter bucks. Because when they shed velvet, it seems like here anyway, I don't know if, if it's like Justin was saying, a ge geographical thing or, you know, just the DNA of the property or how it works. But, and I haven't figured that out yet and I may never will, but it's like when they shed velvet, there may be two of them that stay, that stay right there and will eat and stay there. And then the other ones, you know, they may be on some of my buddy's camera clear on the other side of the club. Um, I don't know if, and, 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 it, and I haven't caught, found any relation between it being a mature buck or the younger bucks. I really don't know because I've had mature bucks stay, like they run the smaller ones off, the younger bucks off, or mm -hmm. the younger ones stay and the mature buck moves off and then, you know what I'm saying? I haven't really found any correlation with that yet, but it seems like when they shed velvet, they bust up. But I will say if I'm hunting or if I have a spot where there's a lot of, a lot of bucks on camera um, in, you know, when they're in velvet August and stuff like that, there won't be a whole lot of does on the camera, but once the bucks break up and leave and there's less bucks there, I'll get more does there. Hmm. I wonder if it's just like a, just the bachelor group breaking up and, and going and find their own breeding ground or. I, yeah. I think that might be what it has to do with and, or, and I think with the does, they don't want to be around them so much. Uh, you know, the, the, a doe don't want to be around a buck. I'd say 90% of the time, unless she's in heat. <laughs> yeah. Kind of yeah. like my wife. What <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, it seems anyway. <laughs> From what I've read and, and what I've seen, I, I think it's the 
you know, they, they get that spike in testosterone their and their antlers calcify and lose velvet. Uh, they can just, they can only tolerate, you know, so many other bucks within a certain area, you know, they kind of divide up into their home ranges, but which kind of makes sense what you're saying about the does. Cause the last lease that I was in, in that same County you hunt, uh, I, I killed four bucks that year and none of, I wasn't seeing does around any of them. I, uh, you know, you see does on the feeders or, you know, mode strips or whatever, but never see bucks and where I was finding them. They were, you know, apart bedding on their own, but. And those were both season bucks, weren't they? Uh, yeah, one was, you know, it, it was the only deer I saw. I sat there from noon to dark that day. I had them on camera and, uh, you know, there's no does there. That was, there's two bow season bucks and then the rest of them were, one was in December. The other two were during the rut, but hmm. yeah. Now, but, uh, Jonathan, do you ever, I know Ricky used to, when he was in a lease or may, maybe even still now, say you got a corn pile or a feeder or whatever, and you got your camera on the feeder to see what comes in at night. Do you ever try to backtrack deer or put cameras out away from your corn on your spot? You know, like say, I think he's coming from that bay. Let me, let me go throw a camera up over there. Cause I know Ricky did this very successfully in that last lease he was in. hundred percent. Absolutely. Um, if I have a specific buck I want to hunt, I know where he's going to be at. I, I, you know, like had him last year news, you know, never got a shot at him or, you know, don't kill my bucks and wasn't going to hunt him no more. And uh, hopefully just made it through. If I have a, a certain buck I want to hunt, if I have the room and I'm not, you know, getting too close to anybody else that could be around me, you know, we have designated spots and leases, like I said, unless, you know, somebody gets out mm-hmm. and you, their spot or whatever else or however it may work. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I'll try to move on him. I feel like if, if there's a certain buck I want, like, for instance, that pie ball behind the house, uh, yeah, because the lease is right here behind the house. Don't but. give too much on that one yet. We'll get into that story. Okay. Okay, but you know, if I have a certain deer that I'm wanting to kill, I'll uh, I know where it's going to be at. I'll put out, you know, three different cameras in, you know, a four, four, five hundred yard radius, and put corn pile on all of them to see which one he's hitting the best, or and maybe showing up in daylight, you know, mm. the best. And, I'll make a move on him and, 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 and cut the other ones off and see. So he's showing up there the most, and that's where I'm hunting. Or another thing I've seen is say you got a buck that's coming in and he's there every night and he's coming in anywhere from a few minutes after dark after you get out your stand to an hour after dark. You know, I've learned that that deer, you, that deer's something not far from you in the daytime. I mean, he, he could be in daylight, he could be, you know, 100 yards in the woods or he could be a thousand yards in the woods. and you know, I've, I've seen that before, too, and that's another thing I'll get on in a little bit. But um, just take that corn pile, and if, if he's there, you know, relig- religiously after – right after dark, move that corn pile, you know, 50, 75, 100 yards in the woods, which way you think he's coming from. And don't always go by the camera. Don't always go by the camera because I've seen bucks plenty of times come in from the right, walk around the camera, and come in on the left. And, you know, a lot of people look at the camera and be like, oh, he's coming from the left. That's the way he's coming from, which is not always the case. Mm-hmm. But um, move that corn pile a little bit, and I've seen it make a difference, even 50, 75, 100 yards. And uh, you can put it out there the next evening, and that deer show up there in the daytime, and then you know what to do. You know what I mean? Like, okay, he's comfortable here. He just wasn't comfortable where you had the corn pile at. Yeah, for sure. Right. Do you notice, um, I don't know if you, I'm assuming you're talking about bucks coming from the bed to the, to the feed. Do you notice any specific terrain feature that they bed in around you or 
up in the air. Short, short pines. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So it could me. just be a it could just be a random gallberry bush that he likes. Yeah, in, in them pines. I mean, I, I'm telling you right now, short pines with I wish they would clear that. I wish they'd level that whole club right now. It's getting it's getting too tall for me. Um but yeah, short pines. I feel like whenever when I had my best year, I it wasn't it's killing deer, it was seeing deer and and I mean I missed the biggest buck I've ever laid my eyes on in Florida and probably ever will. Uh, you've heard of him, that Mufasa deer. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I missed him on Halloween afternoon in 2013. And whenever I was looking for blood and looking for him, whenever I shot, I mean, it wasn't two pine rows off each side. I mean, there was beds everywhere. They were just laying in it. I mean, they didn't have to, especially the does and stuff. They didn't have to. They didn't have to go nowhere. I was, that's why I was seeing so many deer. They'd get up, step you know, walk 20, 30 yards, step in the corn pile, eat. I mean, there was just every, – everything was so comfortable there. You know, yeah, that's, they a just, re- that's a relaxed deer. And and the thing about it is, is I had really good access the way I was getting in, and a lot of that is access. You know, I didn't have to walk through the block. I didn't have to walk th- far through the block. Um, had a good way in and a good way out, so I wasn't disrupting the deer. And I think when you're getting in small pines like that, you have to have good access to get into it because you can spook a lot of deer getting in and out of it, especially if you're going really deep in the block. Um, I actually stay, like to stay on the, further, like closer to the road or something like that than getting deep in the block. Um, just cause you're, I feel like you might be walking past a lot of deer, spooking a lot of deer getting in and out. Something to that. Speaking especially- of access, you know, the winds being variable in our area, a lot of the times, so are you, are you hunting, living and dying by the wind or you just kind of try try to you know my answer is no gotcha (laughs) Um, you're not alone in that i was just curious yeah as crazy as that sounds no i don't live by the die by the wind i mean like you said the winds are so variable around here you'd be sitting there and it'd be in your face then 45 seconds later be hitting you in the back oh man I bought an Ozonics, and I couldn't sell that thing fast enough. Listen, folks, Ozonics works in the Midwest when you have a west wind or a north wind for five days straight. But around Florida, it'll change in an hour, all four directions. Yep. Um, you know, I mean, all you can do around here is is the way I try to explain to people is you're never going to beat a deer's nose. That buck, he can come across a, a doe that walked – Walk across there. He could be walking down the road and hot dog come across there eight, 10 hours before and he smell and he can smell her and find her, right? Yeah. Or whatever the time frame is. But mm-hmm. I've had, I went in there and put out corn and two or three hours later, the buck I want to kill sitting there on my corn pile eating, you tell me he can't smell me. That's right. I've heard, I've heard the correlation just, you know, just a, that, the way we smell, say we smell a rotting deer carcass or a hog or something. You walk by a hundred yards downwind, you're like, ah, something's dead over there. A guy explained to me where, well, when a, when a deer smells a human, that's the difference in his aware. Like he knows for a fact that's a human. Like it, it's so strong to him. Now, whether that deer's conditioned and used to smelling humans or it does, you know, or he's just so, so thinking so much about the rut, he doesn't care. But they said that there's, they absolutely know you're there when they're downwind. And, you know, and exactly like I, I try to explain it like this. So he, I know, you know, I know he smells me. I was there two hours, three hours before. I know he smells it. I was there. I touched my camera, you know, broadcast the corn with my hand or whatever else. I know he can smell me. 
But I think that he knows I'm not a threat at that point. Like, you know, you walk into a house when your wife's cooking. When she's cooking, you can tell she's cooking. But say you just walk in two hours after she cooked, you can tell that there was something cooked, but it was it's not being cooked at that moment, right? Mm-hmm. It is. They kind of know, okay, well, you know, it's not a threat to me no more. For So as far as that goes, I do everything I can to do to dilute my scent. You know, I, I, you know, body wash, no scent body wash, wash my clothes in it. Spray down. I use the uh, scent crusher box for my for my hunting clothes. You know, I, sometimes I'll you know hang a open up a thing of you know earth scent wafers just to dilute my smell a little bit more. And that's all you can do is just dilute your scent because the wind's so it, so it's swirling and variable. And by the time that in in my mind it, it might not be right. It, it might be something I just made up in my head because it seemed like it works. But I just try to dilute my scent as much as possible. So that when that deer comes to that corn pile, if he's going to smell you, if, unless that wind is blowing directly away, or, you know, directly into you and away from him. Mm-hmm. And all you can do is dilute it enough to where he's come in and got to that corn pile, and you've either done killed him or decided you wasn't before he figures you out. Yeah, because he's going to know regardless. You just got to decide if you're going to shoot or not. Yep. Because there's gonna yeah. be a wind. Not gonna sit. I promise you, you're not gonna sit in that tree stand for 30 minutes and watch a mature buck eat without mm-hmm. him booting and get and getting weird and getting there. You know, it's most likely not gonna happen. Jonathan, tell me about your biggest Florida deer to date. Give me a story. What is this? Was it a surprise buck? Was it one you hunted? Um, I don't know. I got two of them right here that are probably running a tight race with each other. One of them I killed with a bow, and one of them I killed with a muzzleloader. Um, they're probably, I think the bow one may be a little bigger. I'm not, I mean, just because he's got more points. He ain't as tall, but he's heavier. He's got more points. But uh, I'm, I knew about I knew about both of them. Um, the the muzzleloader buck, he, he, um, had pictures of him and he he was a weird deer. He uh I had pictures of him and I think the first picture I got him was actually open morning bow season about two hours before daylight. And uh you know, he was he was hit or miss. You know, he'd be he'd be there once or twice a week, maybe, and then disappear for two weeks. Well, um opening I, I moved my corn pile to my rifle or my muzzle to break by my shooting house and deer were killing it. Never had a picture of him there and I had it there for a week. Went in there, opening morning or a, a muzzleloader. He's the first deer that stepped in the break. Um, he and I, I thought I missed him too. And uh, so I got he come out. He started walking to me. And I like to range him with a uh, with range finder muzzleloader, not for as much as you know. Knowing, knowing, I want to know how exactly how far they are, so I know where to start looking for blood. Good point. Uh, because you know sometimes with muzzleloaders, you know blood's not there. No, and I, I mean, I finally found a bullet now that where I'm getting a lot of blood on the ground. But I raised him. He was 100 and I think it was 119 yards, and he was coming down, walking down the break. And I went to stick the, the gun out the window, and when I did, he caught caught my hand. I guess coming up the window, and he stopped. And I got him the gun. And he started backpedaling. <laughs> uh, he, he knew it was time. I said, I, I said, there ain't no way. I can't wait for him to get broadside because, I mean, he's going to turn and he's going to wheel and turn and get out of his break. So I just 
cocked the hammer, put it right there in the center of his chest and shot. I heard the ball hit, but I didn't know if it hit him or a pine tree. So I went down there and walked down there and got to 119 yards and looked. I didn't see nothing. I looked in the pine row next to me and there's blood all over the place. And uh, he, I mean, he was he's a good, good eight point tall, tall, bright, tall G2s, tall brows, dark horns, real pretty deer. And then the uh, the other one was one killed my bow, uh, I think it was 2019. Um, uh, there was no, there's no short pines left in that club, so I'm trying to get as close to short pines as I can. And the only way to do that is get on a, on a property line, on a fence line with the neighboring property. And, uh, I had a bunch of bucks there on camera and this 10 point, he just showed up out of nowhere. On, I think it was a, a Monday, Monday night. And, uh, I was like, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to hunt that deer. He's a good deer. And, Couple, couple of, then he show a couple of days went by. He showed up in the daytime. He showed up at like eleven o'clock in the in the morning, and uh, I hunted him. I was at, I was start. I went on vacation to hunt muzzleloader. I got took last two days both season off for the whole rest of the week, and uh, showed up at eleven o'clock on a Wednesday, and I went in there. I think it was I guess it was Thursday afternoon. And went in there and killed him. I, you know, I only had him on camera for a few days, but. When you got a deal like that and he's starting to show up in the daytime, you I mean you gotta get on him. That's your window. That's your window right there. Got a few you got a few days, you know, especially because as quick as he came, you know, he could have he could have been gone, you know, two days yeah. later two days later. And what's funny about it is the guy that I went to to get the European mount done, he lives, you know, across he probably lives about a mile. And I'm probably right around a mile from where I killed that deer, where he's sitting, he's over, he's in a strand overlooking some small pines, and he can see into the the chicken farmer's field. Um, and there's a there's a head out there. And whenever I brought it to him, he was on the phone when I walked in the door, and he just kind of laughed. And uh, when he got off the phone, he said, "Where'd you kill that deer?" I, I told him, and he said, "I seen that deer open morning on both season." He said he was. He, it was like 9.45 in the morning. He got out of the middle of, of a cypress head in the middle of that field and walked 500 yards across that field and into our club. And I wow. killed him by where he saw him. Yeah, people like take a lot of things from our from our episodes, and we learn a lot of things. But, yeah, folks, if they clear-cut your property, don't be discouraged. Because trust me, after he told me this, I tried to start hunting small pines, and that's where they're at. While we're on muzzleloader, go. Um, we had uh, Mr. Ralph Bennett on a few episodes ago, and he said that his number one hardest time during Florida is muzzleloader because they don't have a lot of blood and everything. What's what's your rig on your muzzleloader? And you said you finally found the bullet that works. What what you got? Um, I shoot just a. I mean, it's actually a cheap muzzleloader. It's a top center impact. Um, it's done me really good. It shoots really good for what it is. It's a cheap muzzleloader. Um, mm -hmm. I've got super expensive rifles and I've tried talking myself out of buying a super expensive mother loader. One of my buddies got them. And I mean, it, that thing shot for shot. I mean, it's as a, for a muzzleloader, it, you know, it's one of them, uh, CBA, oh, golly, what I can't remember. It's the expenses. I know it's the, uh, I can't remember about thousand, twelve hundred $1,200 shot for shot. It'll match, you know, my custom rifle, but 
Um, and I'm trying to talk myself out of getting it, but it's just cheap muzzleloader. Got an old Nikon a Pro Staff 39 by 40 on it, and I'm shooting a uh, Barnes uh, T uh, TMZ. No, yeah, TMZ's Barnes two, 250 grain TMZ's is what they are, and mm-hmm. uh, with 120 grains of powder. And every deer I've shot with that, if it hadn't dropped, I mean, there was there's plenty of blood on the ground like that buck I was telling you about. I shot opening weekend muzzleloader. Years ago, I shot him in the chest, so there's no exit, you know, and, and he, there was plenty of blood on the ground, and I found plenty of balls in them, you know, like shot him quarter and two and found them in the ham or stuff like that, and nice. I swear to you, what it looks like on the package when you buy it, when it's, when it's opened up and expanded, is what it looks like inside that deer. I mean, there's no question that thing's going to expand, you know, and that's with 120 grains of powder. I shot a similar bullet through the, from the same company at 100 grains of powder didn't have the same luck i don't know if that you know 20 grains of powder just gave a little bit of extra velocity to be able to open up but that's what i'm using now and i've turned a lot of my my friends on to them and they've had a lot of good luck with them too yeah um, people but, don't realize around well we've said it before but around these parts the two weeks of muzzleloader are by far where 90 percent of the bucks get killed and it's not like we're hunting iowa we're hunting Florida where a 120-yard shot or 150-yard shot is a long shot. So you don't need some thousand, $1,500, $2,000 muzzleloader or, or some of these now that shoot smokeless powder and they shoot 500 yards. You just don't need that here. All we want is a faster bow because <laughs> these bucks, the last day of bow season, are full tilt. And the next morning, they don't even know what's coming, buddy. We ain't got a bow anymore. We're sitting in a condo stand with a muzzleloader and smoke them down. Exactly. Yeah, it's a uh... – I mean, I, I'd recommend them to anybody. If you're having trouble with your muzzleloader bullets, get uh get some Barnes T uh TMZs, two hundred and fifty grain. I'll write that let, down actually. I think I might have the name wrong. That way, before I let these people know, and they go buy the wrong bullet. Are you shooting loose powder or pellets? Uh, pellets. Loose powder would be more accurate. I just I just ain't got the patience for all that. That's what I've always heard is if you want true accuracy, and I'm like, man. I'm hoping to I'm hoping to hit a size of a softball at 100 yards. I, that's, if I'll do that, then I'm fine. Now, I got some high end rifles too, and I'm cool with that. But I also go out west with those, and you know, shoot five six hundred yards. I just want something dependable and fast because a reload around. Because a lot of times on muzzleloader, I'm sure most of you, your listeners know, when you shoot and miss with a muzzleloader, they just stand there. Mm-hmm. My, most of the time, it ain't like a rifle crack where they run. I guess. The muzzleloader is more of a, a boom, like thunder, and it, it doesn't alert them. I've missed bucks before walking, and they didn't break stride. I reload, shoot them four pine rows over. It's wild. It, I, I, I can attest to that. It's, it's, I don't know what it is about the stand. It's almost like they come to it. I mean, yeah. I've, I got in the stand one morning and shot a boar hog, and he ran off. And I, the smoke's still in the air, and I'm reloading. Before I'm reloading, here comes a buck out in the break, walking walking to the corn pile. You know, I'm like, what in the world is going on? But with a rifle, you know, I, I've had a, I've had some deer stand around after shooting with a rifle, but it's not near as 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 much as it is with a muzzleloader. They'll just stand there. Hell, they'll come back sometimes after you shoot. They step off the break, they'll come back. Well, I shot a real good six point about eight years ago, and another club on the river here, and. I don't, no matter what I'm hunting, if I see a coyote, it becomes a coyote hunt. So this coyote come out, he's walking straight to me about 80 yards. I popped him right between the eyes of muzzleloader. I reloaded and I'm like, man, my hunt's over. This sucks. And I looked up, it was not eight minutes later. And there is this, and he's a real heavy, mature six point. He's standing over this coyote. 
I mean standing over him, looking down at him. I said, well, you'll do too. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> and that was a heck of a yeah, morning. I remember that. Yeah, that was a heck of a morning. That was cold. It's one of them rare morning, mornings of muzzleloader, like opening mornings, you know, 40 degrees. And to us, that's that's the perfect thing that could happen. So back on that, the muzzleloader bullets, I found them there, the uh, the Barnes Spitfire TMZ 250s. If you have having trouble with your muzzleloader bullets, go get a pack of them. If they shoot good out of your gun, Go give them a shot. I'm writing that down. I'm gonna look at them. I've had um, pretty good luck. My full 45 caliber, and I'm shooting with a 50 cal. But um. and you know, as far as muzzleloader goes, like you said, I you know I'm happy hitting a softball at 100 yards. It's it's better than that. But if I was to go out there and do that with my hunting rifle or my rifle, I, I that ain't happening. I'm I got to figure something out. It's oh, just, I'm it, breaking down the scope. I'm breaking uh, down the whole load. You know, it's 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 a, it's different. It it. It shouldn't be different because you're shooting them at the same distance, but it's, it's the thought of it, I think, that really gets me. Yeah. But, I mean, your your rifle with that expensive scope is supposed to be hitting dimes at 100. Exactly. Exactly. Ricky, you got anything on muzzleloader before we move on? Uh, No, I, I shoot the same grain. I just shoot a different bullet, but uh, I haven't had any problems with mine, but I, I think I might still look into that, but those bullets. But, yeah, it's just the expectation. It's a different expectation than your deer rifle, you know. Well, I'm always ready to pick up a bow come bow season. But by the end of bow season, I'm ready to leave that sucker at the house and take a boomstick. Yeah, I'm over. It's just so heartbreaking and painful and hot and mosquitoey and hunting around here. Uh, now, are you shooting tired Yeah, the, uh, well, I'm shooting the triple seven magnums. The sevens. Okay. The red box. Right. Uh. All right, let's do it. The white buck. When did you first see that? Uh, last year, Jonathan shot a beautiful – what was he, an eight-point? He's eight-point. I call him the white buck. He calls him a piebald. He had a lot of white on him. He had a lot. How, what percent do you think he was white? Uh, he's probably – he's at least 60%, I'd say. Yeah, and you're getting a full body mount? Yep, yep. Yeah, give us a story on that because I'm pretty sure you had history with him. Uh, yeah, so it was 2000, I guess, yeah, it was 2020. Um, there, a boy had a picture of him a little bit of ways from me, and he only had one picture of him ever. I don't know where he come from. He was a four-point. And uh, what, a couple days later, he showed up right there at my spot, right here behind the house. And uh, he was on camera. And I seen him one afternoon during both season right at, right at dark. I had nothing decided I wasn't going to shoot him. I mean, he's just mm. on four, four point. Uh, and I kind of made a pact with everybody, like, you know, a deer that beautiful, you know, just the only reason to kill him is if you're going to full body mount him. I mean, you know, you can tan the hide, but to me it just wouldn't do him justice. And uh, so I was, yeah, I was praying. I was praying. I, nobody would kill him. And then I seen him, golly, it was, I think it was October 30th uh, one morning. Seen a couple bucks that morning, some does, and he come in. I think it was about ten o'clock in the morning, or nine forty-five, something like that. He come in and fed for a while. I mean, my God, that deer's beautiful. Anyway, I let him go, and uh, I, after that, I mean, I, I think I killed another buck right there, somewhere in there, and that was my second buck or something like that. I can't, you know, and I, I was done. I was done hunting out there. Right. And uh, I got pictures of him a little bit through that. Took took all my cameras down. Took them to Alabama, and. Uh, Never heard of anybody else getting a picture of him 
And uh, so, well, hopefully made it. Well, one night I come home, it was probably 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning, pulled in the driveway, and I seen four or five deer laying up in the field, front field in front of the house by the hard road. And uh, they all stood up, and I was like, man, that deer looks different. Something different about that deer. That's got to – I said, that's a pie boss, but he looked so small, and I didn't really understand how small he was. Like, you know, his, his body stature was so much smaller. I said, that looks like a, a last year's yearling standing out there amongst all these other does. And uh, it was a few days later – Next weekend, I come home and seen the same deer, seen that deer again. I was like, no, that's definitely, that was definitely a pie ball. I wasn't, no, I wasn't, you know, just make it up. I'm not going crazy. Yeah, I'm not going crazy. You know, that's, that's definitely a pie ball deer. I just didn't know if it was the same one. I was like, man, I was like, be really weird for two of them to be right here this close together. And, mm-hmm. uh, turkey season wasn't, wasn't, wasn't long after that. And buddy Taylor, he was out turkey hunting behind the house and he walked up and one of the fields and just see if there's any turkeys out there. Sure enough, he come back up to the house. I didn't go with him. He said, hey, deer's still alive. He's standing out there. I seen him stand out there in the field with some does. Like, good deal. Yeah. Um, it was probably early August. I kind of situated my stands. I kind of put my whole season. I put all my eggs in one basket on him. Um, well, it's a buck of a lifetime, too. I didn't know what I was going to – you know, what he was going to turn into. I didn't know he was going to be a six-point or whatever else. But I decided, like, and they don't live very long, you know. I I, it's really hard to say how old he was, you know, because just the way his body was, he was so much smaller than everything else. And it was so unproportional. You couldn't really tell, you know, it was a four point, so it was at least a, I don't know, he was a year and a half old. He, he could have been three and a half when I killed him, but I would, he wouldn't, that would have been tops. Like, he wouldn't have been no more than that, in my opinion. But So he's like I a runt? Oh, absolutely. Short face, uh, you know, front legs are shorter than his back like he he was kind of like you know hit body was sloped down you know kind of like a you know grandpa truck you, you know and uh old jeffy the white deer yeah he he was he, <laughs> and uh so i started running i put like three cameras out behind the house in that block and uh i was up there put was putting radish straps on a on a stand you know bow hunt out of and taylor's down there checking my cameras he said, bro, I said, what is it? You got a monster down there? And he said, no. I said, what is it? He's come down here and look at it. Sure enough, he was standing there. As an eight, he said, he's an eight point now. And I said, you got to be kidding me. I was like, well, this, this is good. So I run myself ragged over that deer. Tried. I was running cameras all over the block. And he was a – he didn't act like a normal deer. And why I say that is, is the year before when I seen him as a four point, he was running back and forth a pretty – pretty good stretch i mean not like a big mature buck buck would but he would he had a pretty good range and uh i knew kind of where the where he was traveling through the block to go back and forth me and that other guy or my other buddy and uh so i kind of set up trying to figure him out and he didn't do that that last year He, he just he didn't run the same thing i think he my buddy only had him on camera two times for one pick one picture each time he was there, you know, until I killed him throughout the whole thing and staying really tight. And I couldn't ever figure him out. And I was walking 500 yards through a block trying to get to where I thought he was and just wasn't working. And I'm starting to, starting to really worry. I was like, man, this deer, I, I thought it was going to be easy. You know, I thought, man, this deer is pretty in tight. I was like, man, I'm going to get him 
first week of bow season, well, that didn't happen. And uh, kind of threw me for a loop. Well, it just dawned on me. I think I'm, I think I'm walking past or going past, going too deep from where this deer really, really laying at. So I think it was on a – had it been on a Monday or Tuesday. I went and put – I was like, let me go right here on the trail, on the pine road. It's an open pine road that I was actually walking to my bow blind. And I, I bow mine out of blinds. I don't know if y'all do, and that's another thing I'm, I'll, I'll speak on in a minute. But mm-hmm. uh, I, I put out corn and went to Alabama, plant food plots, come back, check my camera. It took him two days to get on it. And when he did, he was out of five days. The five days that was there was like a – so it had been a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. So five days – he was there at least one time in the daytime every day. And I was like, okay, this is where I'm going to kill him. Well, I went ahead and set up my blind because I don't like putting out a corn pile and then putting up a blind after they've done found it because I feel like it boogers them. Some of them it does, some of them don't. You know, it just depends on the deer. But most of them it seems like it does. It boogers them up for a little bit. Hmm. So I go ahead and put that corn pile there. I done, got that blind there, brushed it in. So when they get in, they've done seen it. They know nothing's going on. They feel safe sitting there eating. Well, the, it's not that upcoming weekend, but the next weekend was muzzleloader weekend, so I didn't hunt him. And I was just waiting. And he showed up a few more times in the daytime, and then opening weekend of muzzleloader, I, I hunted him, and uh, was there for 14 straight sits before I killed him, before he showed back up for seven or eight days. Mm-hmm. I was – and he never, I mean, I couldn't hunt, I wasn't hunting the mornings that time, but yeah, so it was almost, it was almost 10 days. So I hunted a couple mornings and then I hunted every evening. I worked night shifts, so I would get, go out there and hunt in the evening. And I never seen the deer, you know, I mean, he, he might've showed up one morning while I was, while I was at work or something like that. But, and what was so bad about it was, it wasn't bad because I had my heart set on him was, there wasn't hardly any other deer showing up right there. I mean, there was maybe one or two does or a couple does, two or three does and maybe one other, one or two other bucks. And I let one of them go. It was, a, it was a pretty six point. There was one eight point I probably would have shot, but out of 14, 14 straight sits, I seen five deer, and he was the fifth deer, and that's hard, you know, to sit there and just not see deer sit after sit after sit. And, that's, um, called, that's called earning it right there. And, but I, and that's the thing, though. I mean, I didn't really care about anything else. I knew this is where he was showing up, and he felt comfortable there, and that's where he was going to be, and – and what was weird about him too was he would he would show up like like I said like three four five days in a row and then he'd disappear for forty eight hours but nobody else around had pictures of him I know of two or three people that had pictures other pictures of him but every time they said they had a picture of him it was one time you know like one picture if he was there for more, for more than one picture it was just a few minutes and he was gone and he didn't come back and uh, it's like, what in the world is this deer doing? So I started, and this may this may not even be the case, but so I started researching them. So, what, like, you know, piebald deer, you know, and I know they have health problems. They don't live long. They And I found out they have scoliosis, arthritis. They have gut problems and a laundry list of other health issues they could have. The only thing I can think of is when this dis- deer is disappearing for, you know, 36, 48 hours, is he's just going, he's, he's starting to hurt. You know, if he's got arthritis, because he had a hunch back too. Like, so, you know, he had like scoliosis, arthritis, something going on. So yeah. I'm like, oh, this deer's getting up, feeding, starting to hurt, going and laying down for a day and a half, two days where he knows he's safe. 
and then getting up and moving again. So I just had to time that window and I timed it and it was. Did he come he, in by himself? Yeah. Oh, and that's another thing about him. He, was, he wasn't a social deer. He didn't like really being around other deer. He's he Jeffy. Very, Everybody made fun of him. Yeah. And, and I seen him a few times in pictures with other deer, like, and there were spikes or maybe a doe or something, but the spikes, you know, towered him. And the deer didn't weigh, the deer didn't weigh no more than 90 pounds. Really? Yep, he was tiny, tiny deer. And uh, he'd come in that morning, and I was sitting there on my phone texting, I looked up, I was like, oh, man, there he is. And put my phone down, got the gun, and I didn't know how, I knew if I hunted him enough, I was going to get a chance. I didn't know how it was going to work out, but I shot when the smoke cleared, he was laying there. Yeah, and then just the weight comes off your shoulders. Oh, yeah. I mean, that deer, there would be times, like, whenever I found it, whenever I seen him, heard he was showing up on other people's cameras, man, I started getting out of whack. I, there'd be, I didn't have an appetite. I wanted that deer so bad, I was getting sick over it. Mm. Uh, he, uh, yeah. what was crazy was, is the first time, or I seen him uh, that that day during, that like the last time I seen him during hunt season from the stand, it was a year to the day later, within 45 minutes, that I killed him. Mm. Uh, it's funny you say that about the them having health issues because me and a buddy were hunting one. It was a pie ball eight point. He was the same thing, considerably smaller than the rest of them. And it was coastal Georgia, so I thought maybe it was just one of the strains of island deer, but that makes sense. See, we learned so much on this podcast. I love it. When I shot that buck this year, I think I had 17 sits on him once muzzleloader started because I had no way of really bow hunting him way set up. But And every time I'd hear somebody else saw him, I'm like, oh, no, 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 come back home, buddy. Come back home because I was so far away from most people because everybody, you know, when we got the lease, everybody went to the back on the creek and I stayed up on the front. But there was one guy hunting near me, the new guy in the club, never killed a deer before. And I find out now, or when I killed him, he had a scar on his back. And I found out he had shot at that deer when he walked in and checked his camera one day, he had a uh, a bow and never really hunted before. And he shot at this deer and glanced off his back. Other than that, he was a ghost. And he had been missing for, I don't know, 10 days before I actually saw him and killed him that one day. It was November 7th when I shot him last year. And which is not, that's the rifle season. Normally I kill all my bucks in muzzleloader, but he had gone missing. I'm like, oh no, he got hit by a car. He got, so one of the neighbors done got him. And then, same kind of deal with you, John. I was I was sitting there looking at my phone or whatever, sitting in the stand. I looked up, and he come out the end of the lane, and my deer was really wide, folks. And he come out the end of the lane, the very end of the road, and was walking to me with his head down. And when I looked up and finally saw this deer I'd hunted 17 sets in a row, it was like I was seeing a ghost. I'm like, is that really him? And But, of course, there's no other deer on the property that wide. And he walked, looked like a Texas hunt, like a Sendero. Like, he walked all the way up that road. And I had, to, out of 38 years old, I had to sit there and coach myself constantly. Don't shoot yet. Don't, you're not going to get another opportunity this year. You're not going to see him again. He walked, gosh, I watched him walk 90 yards and I had a rifle and I was where I was ready though. If he turned at all, I was going to smoke him. He finally turned and went to go in the woods and I, and I, and I shot him. But my gosh, when we finally found that deer, you can hear the hooping and hollering on in town, you know? Heard it from my house if I'd been outside. That's exactly right. <laughs> but the same, I understand. And now my deer is not near as special as yours. Have you got that mount back? No, I haven't. Um, I talked to the guy not long ago, and uh, he's it's actually he's 
he's a very, very, very meticulous and good taxidermist. Um, I don't know if y'all have ever heard of him, but I'm not going to put his name out there. I mean, I'm, I, I'll tell you, like, in mm-hmm. person next to you because he doesn't want a whole lot of people contact. He does X amount of deer a year, mm-hmm. and he works a full-time job. He just does his enjoy it, but he's very, very good. And uh, it'll actually be his first full-body mount. Um, and I, I trust it. Like, you know, I, it's the only deer I'm ever going to kill like that and probably the – it will be the only deer I ever full body mount. And I, I tell you, I trust him with it. He's mounted some other deer. He mounted a, a buddy of mine's, uh, a half body mount, a half body mount on a bear. Did a phenomenal job. And he's actually doing a, a, a big boar hog we call, or bar hog we call, it was uh, 340 pounds that we had a lot of history with and, um, and, and elk this year. So he's wanting to get all his deer or all his shoulder mounts and European mounts out of the way, get them out the door. Cause he usually tries to get done for hunt season. And uh, when I talked to him, I was like, I figured I would want to have it done for hunt season, man. He said, way work's been going and this and that. He said, I'm just getting all these deer out of the way, the shoulder mounts. And then I'm gonna start working on the big projects like the, the hog and your deer and, and the, and the elk. So. Well, it's good. He's restricting himself because what I found out, there's another local guy that's a superb, taxidermist but when he first started he was only doing you know 20 or so deer a year and then he got into the money aspect of it and he he sets himself a limit every say 40 and then i'll talk to him like man i took in 65 i'm like gosh you know the money's good and he does a great job it just he's getting i think he's getting a little burnt out and he needs to step it back he needs to bring it back a lot because it's because if once you lose the love or passion for something your quality is going to have to come down. So yeah. it's good that this guy's is regulating himself. That's good to hear. And yeah, I'm going to have to get his name because I didn't get this one up shot last year mounted. And I've been really thinking about doing it. I saved the cape. I keep the face out and everything. I'm yeah, really thinking about doing it. He's extremely good. I mean, he's expensive. Don't get me wrong. He's, he is expensive, but the thing about it is if, if you care about that deer enough, you, you'll, you'll pay the money. I'm a buy once cry once. If I'm going to look at this deer the rest of my life, why not spend the money and have a quality mount? Because dang sure I've paid for some crap mounts before. And anybody that knows him, you can ask him. You can ask them whenever I give you the name, you know, and you can ask around people. And if they have a deer mount, I mean, they're going to tell you the same as that thing I am. It's expensive. Um, it's not something I just take anything. I wouldn't just take, you know, just, you know, just any run of the mill buck to, I mean, like it's, he's going to have to be a good buck, you know, because I'm, paying a lot of money for it but i mean you're getting your money's out i got you get your money out. i got other deer on the wall and look at you can somebody that could walk in that door that doesn't know nothing about deer a deer you know what's supposed to look like can pick it apart i mean the difference in them you know not saying counts are bad but they no, we're, we're gonna have a taxidermist on um here pretty soon a couple of them hit us up but we, we're gonna pick one that does a really good job and he can go over certain things that the normal people that don't see you know like the veins in the nostrils and stuff like that um switching up gears real quick um go ahead and go over your bow setup right now i got i mean i've shot them all but right now i've got a matthews uh vxr shooting victor airs are running about 130 grain 25 30 grains something where in there um 66 pounds, 29 inch draw with uh Swacker broadheads mm. shooting. Uh, uh, what am I? I'm shooting uh, the 
vein tech. They're shooting their recon veins, and uh, I'll get into that when we start a little bit. But they're very, very quiet. They're very, very quiet veins. I'm shooting probably about 290 feet per second. And, I mean, the bow shoots real good. I mean, I, I, really, I like it a lot. I mean, I took it out the other day. About, I said the other day, about a month ago, and all the targets I got set behind the house and shot six arrows at 92 yards, and every one of them landed in the back. So. Well, I, I'm, I'm like you said earlier, I got my bow on the wall I've had for eight years sitting behind me here. I'll pull it out a week before the season, shoot a couple times. If I'm doing good, I used to shoot a ton, but I don't anymore. Yeah, I was yeah. Ask you, uh, you a speed? You build your arrows for speed, or are you a heavy arrow guy? Um, I'm kind of in the middle. I mean, I want, yeah, I want some weight. Uh, I want some weight, but speed only makes you miss faster. Yeah, <laughs> ain't no deer out running 290 foot a second anyway. Yeah. And, and, and people, and, and that's another misconception. Actually, the recon veins, they're actually called tack veins, um, but they're super yeah. quiet. Uh, they're really stiff. And like a lot of people say the deer's jumping the string. He ain't jumping the string. What nope. he's doing is he's hearing that arrow coming to him. The guy a that taught of, me how to shoot a bow told me if somebody says a deer is jumping the string, they don't know what they're talking about. Go talk to somebody else. Uh, they're, they're hearing the arrow come to them, the veins, the broadhead. Um, when it gets up on them and it can be like you can you can stand down there stand 60 60 yards or 50 yards 40 yards 20 yards it don't matter and you can hear that when that air gets close and the you know the further you get out the further you're going to hear it away you know obviously in the, or maybe not further but the the more time you're going to have to hear it you know because it's, it's coming from further away obviously but mm -hmm. they hear that whistle and that's what that's what they hear and that's why i try to explain to people they're not jumping the strings let me ask you this. You sit here in the stand, and you ever made a noise, and there'd be deer in the corn pile, they're both saying, you can take your hand and, and, and clap them. And does that deer put its chest to the dirt? Nope. No, it just up. Yeah. And you know? a deer's reaction time is so much faster than humans, it's, it's hard for people to comprehend, but all they got to do is drop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would say I noticed, like, shooting just with, like, a, a recurve, I had some vented fixed blades. And that, you know, that bow was only shooting 175 or so feet per second, but you can hear those things coming. So I, I switched to non-vented and it made, you know, made it way quieter. Just if you wonder how much noise it's making, you put your phone down there by the target, you can hear that arrow zinging in there. Yep. And that's, and, you know, I shot, you know, blazer veins for a long time and a lot of people still shoot them. I shot them for tournaments. I shot them for everything hunting. And uh, I mean, they're a good vein. There's a lot of good veins out there that steer the air good, but vein technology's come a long way. And once, you know, they started coming out with, you know, stiffer veins and trying to make them quieter, these are probably the quietest veins on the market or one of the quietest veins on the market. I can be down there, you know, 60, 70 yards and somebody stand off the side of the target and somebody's shooting and you don't hear it until it is almost touching the target i mean it's extremely quiet and i mean that helps out a lot That's you know cool. after aim in the lower third anymore you can aim center mass you know you don't have to worry about them or worry about them dropping anymore i i've gone back to broadheads i've shot all manner of broadheads nap and rage and i've had ferals break on both i've had blades break on both or shear off uh even the g5 the the t3s those are complete junk in my opinion but I guess Ricky, you went to uh, Swackers, I think, and turned me on to him. And he's like, you know what? I'm gonna try them. 
And I bought a pack last year and shot two deer with them. I love them. They're good. Yeah, yeah I like mine. I, I'm kind of the same camp as Jonathan. I, I started diving into the heavy arrow thing. I didn't go too crazy, though. I'm shooting like 540 uh, with an insert, but the uh, I'm using those ridiculous three-inch, 150-grain schwackers, and mm. I haven't. I have zero complaints. I shot one buck directly in the scapula and i don't think that would have been a different outcome no matter what broad i was shooting but the rest of them are just complete annihilation yeah ricky's hunting buffalo apparently <laughs> yeah and and that's the thing you know people don't understand they want to shoot a, and like you said you know you, sh- you don't think if you'd shot something different a bit of different outcome and i think that's it's a good point to get on because people talk about heavy arrow and you know fixed fixed blade broadheads will bust through you know you know, the shoulder knuckle and all this and that, you know, the knuckle and the shoulder and all that. Yeah, it may, but why are you – I mean, you shouldn't hit there anyway to begin with. And and just – best thing to do is just practice with your bow and, and get good with your bow and be confident in it. And don't – you don't have to hold the, to this. And I'm not saying aim. I'm not trying to make up for bad shots or anything like that. But you're better off shooting a deer in the guts with mm-hmm. a big mechanical broadhead than – in the shoulder or in the shoulder knuckle with a fixed blade. Ricky, didn't someone say that on a podcast we, we recorded recently? Yeah, I was just going to say that's what Ralph was saying. There's a lot of a lot of stuff that will kill a deer behind that shoulder. And uh, I like I like shooting them tight too, but, you know, it's uh, your odds of killing that deer and finding it are better if you do not hit the shoulder. <laughs> a, liver, a liver shot deer is going to bleed and going to die. You just got to give him time and not push him. And I learned that the hard way. But if you, if you shoot a, a deer in the liver, back it along, whatever, give him some time. He'll be dead. Yep. He'll go to even, water. He'll be dead. And even a even a gut shot deer with a bow, especially with the big mechanical broadhead, you know, you got a lot of you got a lot of gut going in the bloodstream. They turn septic. You know, they're not going to go far. Maybe – I think every gut shot deer I've ever tracked with a bow, you know, some of mine, other people's stuff like that. A lot of the time, as long as you don't push the deer, he's going to go no more than 150, 200 yards layup. And you go back way later, you know, four or five hours later, maybe six hours, or even wait till the next morning, you know, he, if he's not dead, he's going to be extremely sick and disoriented and he's not he's gonna be you know so sick from the the infection in his blood he's not gonna know what to do you know what i mean and you can you can there's a good chance you'll be able to follow the blood trail to him he'll be laying right there and you can finish him off he'll be swaying and looking drunk yeah and i think a lot of people get in there and get you know rush and get in there and try to push the deer and and that's where a lot of it comes from you know and and ralph's ralph's got a hell of a dog that's for sure. Yeah, he it, how we learned a lot in that episode too. Um, well, as far as I'm concerned, that's a great place to try to wrap this up. Ricky, do you have anything for Mister uh, Mister Haley? I just had one uh, one question I wanted to ask you, and, and you know, you can go as far into this or, or not as you as you choose. But let's say you lose your lease or whatever happens, and, and you you get in a new club. Um, what's your uh, where are you going to start at with the rule? Let's assume that the rules are you can climb or you can, you can hunt wherever you want as long as you're not too close to somebody else. But what, what would be your tactics on finding a, a good that's, area? That's a, a good question. Yeah, that's a good. Yeah, question. I would, uh, I would start over. I'd go in that place and I'd find the best looking pines that I could short pines with some type of structure in them. 
um, whether mm-hmm. it's a couple, you know, cypress heads or, you know, a strand going through them or something like that. And I would start setting up cameras and going like that. And um, if I had to, I would hunt out of a ground blind. Uh, you know, I've, I've done that. In, and I do want to go back on this. I didn't. I want. I don't want to take credit for it. The whole small pines thing. I was taught that. That ain't something I come up with my own. I was taught that, and I started doing it, and it started working. So that's you know that's why I've stuck to it. Um, but don't be scared. Like if you go in a place, I would go to small pines, and and just set up cameras and hunt. You know, you it ain't good. People say it ain't good for bow hunting because you ain't really got a lot of trees you can get on. But don't be scared to hunt out of a or bow hunt out of a ground blind. I know it's hot. I know that thermostat is going to choke you out, but if there's a deer there you want bad enough, and if you ain't willing to suck it up, then you don't deserve him. Jonathan, Amen. on that, we just recorded with a guy who's an absolute killer on public land. Uh, it's funny to hear different people's strategies. Ricky is a, is a feed tree guy most often. It works great for him. This other guy we did, we talked to is a is a bedding guy. He don't care anything about feed trees. You go straight to the short pines, and y'all are all three killers. But that, that man said he he moved from Missouri to Florida to public land hunting, and he's been very successful doing it. He doesn't even own a thermocell. I said, buddy, I got two backup thermocells in my truck. If I'm gonna have, if I'm gonna be hunting, I'm gonna have a way to get the mosquitoes away from me. So, Ricky, you got anything else for uh, Mr. Haley? Uh, Jonathan, when it comes to a full moon, what are you? Uh, are you hunting midday? Are you hunting all day? What, what are your thoughts on that? No, there's no really change in my the times that I hunt. I still hunt in the morning and evenings. I'm not, I'm not gonna sit out there till noon. I'm out set till ten, ten forty five. Um, but hunt the piss out of the full moon, man. Just uh, I, I in two thousand thirteen, from two thousand thirteen to two thousand sixteen, I actually wrote down in a journal from what I saw in person and on my camera. Um, or you know throughout the month like every time i get a picture of a daytime buck whether it was whether it was a small uh, spike or a or mature buck i would i would write it down and uh you know the whole life up until then everybody's like oh full moon sucks full moon sucks blah blah this and that and the other and uh i started noticing you know two days before the full moon around you know on the full the full moon didn't seem to be the day of the full moon didn't seem to be seem to be as good. The four and sometimes even up to the sixth day after the full moon, buck activity spiked a lot, a lot. Daytime activity. Um, I mean, like I said, I had three months over three years, so nine months of I wouldn't call it a study, just kind of taking notes. Um, and the only reason I went through, you know, September through. November, September, October, yeah, three months is because, you know, in the last probably six, seven years, I probably only went to the stand around here to hunt with a rifle, you know, no more than 10 times. It's probably less than that because I've always killed my bucks, you know, during bow season or muzzleloader. But there was always a significant, over those three years, there was always a significant spike in daytime buck movement in and around the full moon. Yeah, that's interesting to hear that. And, you know, hunting such a mental game i've always told myself you know deer gonna be up all night but i'm i've i've noticed i've killed deer around a full moon to me honestly just me personally 
a new moon is way worse than a full moon. It seems to me, like in Georgia, up in Dublin, we wouldn't even have bucks on camera on the new moon. Like, where do they go? They don't move at all. When there's, you know, when it's a black night, I'd always think, oh, sweet, there wasn't no moon last night. These deer going to move all day long. And it's like, we don't even have a deer on the property. And we're nope. used to seeing 12, 15 deer a sit, three, four bucks at a time. And the full moon, you're right. I think there's something something naturally that triggers on a buck or a doe, especially on that first full moon. Well, I guess for Florida, it'd be the full moon in September, but like in, in Georgia, that, that first full moon in October, man, it just kicks them off. I agree with that. And you know, that's funny that you don't hunt midday. Cause I've had a lot of success hunting midday on the full moon day. I've, I've set from 10 to three. Now I'm not sitting in a ground blind in the middle of the sun. I'm back in a bottom somewhere. Usually if I'm doing that. I think, I think it's a mental thing for me because in the morning, you know, I don't like sitting in the middle of the day. Like, if I'm hunting in Alabama and it's the rut and it's in January, I'll sit till, you know, maybe noon and then get out for an hour or two and go back. But around here, it's, I just got nothing. I don't got nothing. There's nothing to look forward to. You know, you're sitting in the middle of the day. There's no, like, all right, it's getting daylight, you know, this, not the other. And then in the evening, there's no, like, okay, it's getting close to dark. They should be moving. I think it's just a mental thing for me. Like, man, I'm just sitting out here for nothing. And, and it might not be nothing. I mean, there could be something, but. I just don't do it. I think 10, 1030 is about my max. And You wouldn't have wanted to go with us to Illinois, huh, Ricky? Well, I mean, if I was in a place like that, I'd be 100% okay with it. But around here, it's just – Well, I thought but, I was okay with it until we got there. We, Me and Ricky went on a, uh, a hunt in the Copper's Creek Outfitters in Rock Island County, Illinois, about 10 years ago. Great people. Great – that's some of the biggest bucks in the world there. Uh, but he, we get there, and the, and the owner's like, hey, man, if you paying me to kill a buck, you're going to sit every single second of daylight and you'd get in before daylight and sit there all day long in a lock on until after dark. And it was miserable. Yeah, absolutely miserable. Cause your food's gone by 10. You know that <laughs> your food's all gone by 10. And one guy told me, he's like, dude, I get up at uh, 11 o'clock. He said, I face North 15 minutes, you know, East 15 minutes, South 15. He goes in by the time, I do that an hour's gone and like you having to think of i was actually using my harness my tree harness and i was opening my arms and just falling forward and letting the harness catch me just because i was bored <laughs> it paid yeah. off the last day uh we had a front come in and three bucks were shot that morning and that's one thing i learned about the midwest not getting off on a topic when the rain's coming in missouri or kentucky or illinois buddy get your butt in a stand if a rainstorm if a thunderstorm's coming or rain them big bucks in november get on their feet there's something about it now i've proven that time and time again 135 inch deer guy on the wall man he it was raining misty and that's when i killed him he wasn't coming out no it was beautiful crisp cold mornings and that one time that front came through he was on his feet yeah i think we missed the rut a little bit on that trip too but i think we were behind it yeah i think uh oh rainy misty morning or evening's good i mean i always call them kill nights after it's rain oh i love it dude i love it my some of my biggest bucks in georgia came when like almost like the rain's like a heavy fog like it's misting kind of it's just cloudy and a little breezy boy i get excited and i do i, I feel like i do need to venture out west and, and do that i feel like that it'd be it'd be good for me i just haven't i just haven't went there yet i feel like i told you that about six years ago yeah well actually, it wasn't quite six years years ago you said you said i can't remember your exact words but you were like go west mm -hmm. 
Go yeah, hunt public ground in Missouri, brother. And the way you kill deer around here, you just got to make a few little adjustments to hunt in the Midwest. But, oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Going back to the full moon thing, if, if I'm being honest, I I plan to do full moon sits a lot, especially on these quota hunts, like all day sits. But the last few times I've done it, I've killed, I've had a buck dead by, you know, first hour of daylight. <laughs> now hey, that I'm thinking about it. There's yeah, something to that, folks. Y'all need to listen. And one thing I did I did notice too is is temperature had no ill effect on the on the movement of the bucks. I don't care if it was eighty five or ninety degrees in the morning at nine o'clock, or if it was fifty degrees, it made no made no made no effect on it. And I think it has to do with these deer are so hot in nature. They know, I mean, they're they live in the heat, you know, eighty percent, you know, eighty plus degrees. So they're so used to it. And I think that if if it drops and gets too cold, you know, under you know, I've seen deer movement decline anything under 45 degrees. I think a lot of times they just get, they don't know how to take it. I was going to ask you that too. I've hunted mornings here where it's like, you know, we've had a few mornings, 19 degrees, 23 degrees. And I'm like, oh boy, they're going to be moving everywhere and not see an animal. Hell yeah. I think they just, they're not used to that shock of the cold weather, but you go to Illinois or Missouri, if it's warm, you ain't, I'm telling you right now, the big old bucks, are 95% of the time not going to be on their feet. It has a big difference up there, but like you said, our deer are so conditioned, you know. And I've killed more, I say mature bucks, you know, anything from three and a half up. And more, most of them have been in uh, 75 or, or 70, 75 degrees, 70, 75 degrees or better, you know. So, or hotter, you know, but killed very few and, when it was when it was you know anything less yeah I'd, I'd have to say the same for myself i mean 40 degrees is probably about the coldest i've killed one around here and that was you know one or two i mean and it's not literal it's not to say you can't nothing about literal but pattern there's some type of pattern there on it you know yeah well thank you buddy for coming on it's been yeah. great i feel a lot of people are going to learn a lot of stuff I feel I have, and that's as long as we're learning on this podcast, that's what we're here for. Yep, uh, thank what... you so much for coming on. When you get your buck back, when you get your full body uh, Jeffy buck back, I'm gonna come down and bring Case of Beer and bring Ricky with me. He'll get to meet you face to face. Yeah, come on. I called him. Uh, I called him Spec. Old, old Spec. That's what well, I call. Him. I'm just glad you got him, and some arbitrary person that never hunts in their life gets him. You know, and I'm just glad you got him. You chased him. He probably taught you a lot. Um. But this will be From the Woods signing off. Thank you, fellas, so much. Thank you. Good time talking to y'all. All right, buddy. Yes, sir. All right, folks, thanks for tuning in. Y'all stay with us. This train's going to keep on rolling. I promise you we're going to have some great episodes, some great guests. You're going to learn some stuff, and so are we. Thanks again.